Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. We started out talking about worshiping passionately. And then um, we go on, this week we're going to talk about loving extravagantly and witnessing boldly. But let me read the statement to you real quick. Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ who worship passionately, love extravagantly, and witness boldly. And I think the important part of that that we can't overlook is that the purpose of that is to make disciples. Oh my gosh, I forgot to tell y'all to sit down. Y'all are so, see Matt, they really do want to be in choir. <laughs> you can be seated. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> y'all are so anxious to sing some more, you didn't even want to sit down. <laughs> so, as we are called to do, the purpose of those things is not just for, for ourselves. It's not for us to experience God in those ways, and not for even us as a community, but to make disciples of Christ. That's the, the Great Commission. That's what we are charged to do as a church, and that emphasis on that making disciples. A few weeks ago, I was teaching in the KMC 101 class, and we were talking about the Trinity, and in my reading of it and studying of it, and I've noticed this sometimes, there'll be something that I'll just read and for some reason it'll just stick with me. And there's something about the way it was said or the timing of it that sticks with me. And it was something about as I was preparing for that and thinking on that God is love. It's not just an attribute of God, it is what God is. So therefore, if God has been here always and God will be here through eternity, Love has always existed and always will exist. And that's reflected in the Trinity. The Trinity has always been and will always be. There was never a time because God couldn't be love if he didn't exist in relationship. And so through that relationship of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God, that's where love is. And it's, it's demonstrated through the Trinity and experienced through that Trinity. And so love is central to who we are, and it defines what we do because it defines God. It defines who we worship. And as we've been looking at this each week, we, like this week we're going to look at what this means um, to, to love extravagantly on a personal level, and next week we'll look at what that means on a corporate level and how we do that as a community. And we're looking at each one of these statements in that way. But I'm starting to realize very much so that that corporate isn't possible without the personal and the personal isn't possible without the corporate. That those have to work together. That a loving church community is not possible if we are not pursuing Christ on our own. We can't pursue Christ entirely on our own 
And we can't do it without that community teaching us and praying and walking that journey with us. So it's, it's all round up together, and it all reflects what that extravagant love is. It's not just love, it's extravagant love. So we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means today. I also realized as I was preparing for this again this week, the last time I preached, um, I was in the, when I did the worship passionately, I was in the vine, but it dawned on me how much as I was going through this, how much they're tied together. That without that extravagant love, that that passionate worship is not possible. And it's also not possible to witness boldly. So we can't do one without the other. We've got to be able to embrace all of them and, and learn through all of them. One of the scriptures I'm going to use today and talk about, I also talked about when I was talking about worshiping passionately. And it's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Let me find my place, sorry. Um, I'm on the wrong page. I'm going to read it from here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command to you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and your gates. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I had to pick the verse that has probably influenced and guided me the most in my life, I think it's probably this verse. And I think where it has really spoken to me is the idea that it describes the ordinariness of life in this. There's no big mission in it. There's nothing dramatic presented. It is simply love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. Teach them to your children. And how do you do that? You do it as you walk. You do it as you sit in your house. You do it when you lay down and you say their prayers with your children and you read bedtime stories with them. And then in the morning when you rise again, you start out again with that being your mission. And then there's the physical reminders that, that Deuteronomy says we should have. The ways that we surround ourselves with things that remind us of our faith, that remind us of who God is and that he is who is ever present in our life and guiding our footsteps. And when we do those things, we are worshiping passionately and we are witnessing boldly and we are loving extravagantly. There's nothing brand new about any of those things. They're just the ordinary ways we go through life and the ordinary ways that Israel would have experienced the symbols of God and the way God surrounded them. It's how we make the mundane and everydayness of things holy. It's how we make those mundane things into acts of worship. And it's how we learn to love through the everydayness of life. Most likely, there may be someone in here who's done it, we will not in our lifetime probably run into a burning building and save a group of orphans. I mean, we might be willing, <laughs> but chances are that's not going to happen. 
But what I can guarantee you is going to happen is you're going to have interactions with your spouse and your children and people in the grocery store and the people you work with and the people you go to school with and the people that you interact with on a daily basis. And that's who we are called to love extravagantly. It's in those everyday moments that we are called to do this. Sometimes it's not exciting or glamorous. There are people who hurt us and there are people that we hurt. And that can happen to us directly. That can happen in the larger world as well. There are people out there that do some really bad things and hurt a lot of people in the process. And yet, we are called to love those people extravagantly. And so as these words are upon our hearts, it starts with the declaration of who God is because that is where love originates. The source of our love is God. It's found in that trinity. It extended to us. We were made in God's image to love him and to love others. Do you know there's four different types of love um, that we find in Scripture in the the Greek because they break it down and they get a little more specific to things. They don't equate the love of their spouse with the love of God. A hamburger. Um, <laughs> and so, um, so they have specific terms for that. And they have the, the philia, which is the friendship. They have the erotic love between a husband and wife. And then they have the love of family. And then they have agape love. And the definition that I found this week and looked at says this, and I love it. It proceeds from esteem, principle, or duty. It's the love of the undeserving despite disappointment and rejection. What better describes our relationship with God? He loves us no matter what. He has pursued us. When we look through Scripture, He has continued to pursue us time and time again, reaching out to us despite how undeserving we are, despite our rejection of Him. He's there He is constantly pursuing us, constantly calling us back into his presence, constantly calling us back into his extravagant love. We can see with Jesus how he demonstrated his love. And if you look through scripture as well, you'll notice that love of neighbor, it's never defined. We're we're told to to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're told to love others. And in the Old Testament, there are laws and commandments that help as God is trying to shape Israel and he's trying to form them and trying to give them some guidelines because they keep messing it up pretty badly of what that looks like, what it means to love your neighbor. But there's not just a, a list or an a, a exact formula of what that looks like and what we need to do. But we can see it through Jesus. And when Jesus taught, once again, he never said, here's exactly what you got to do. If you notice, every time he was asked about this, about what it means to love of a neighbor, he told a parable. He never answered the question directly. He tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. When Peter asked Jesus how often we're, we're to forgive, he explains that tells a parable of someone being of a master forgiving his his um, someone who owed him money and then that person going out and not forgiving the debts of someone else who owed him money 
and points out how that's not true love, that's not forgiveness. And then there's also in Matthew 25, 31 through 40, have the parable of the sheep and the goats. When Jesus says to, to the people, um, he's talking with them and he's preaching, and they ask him, well, they've asked several things actually. He's telling the parable of the sheep and the goats. And 31 through 40, uh, when the Son of Man comes, he says, in all his glory, and the angels will see him, and he will sit on his throne, and he will separate, separate the sheep from the goats. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, who are blessed, take my inheritance. The kingdom has been prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then this is the important part. Well, it's all important, but this is what we're going to talk about. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous asked, when do we do those things? We don't remember doing that for you. And he said, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So he doesn't answer it directly, but he gives us some insight into what that looks like. And that extravagant love, when we're extending that to someone else, we're doing that through Christ. Because those, those aren't necessarily easy people to, to love. I mean, people who are in prison aren't easy to love. But that's who we're called to love. We're called to love the people that are hard to love. That's what extravagant love is. Jesus also ultimately showed us what love looks like on the cross. When we look at John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He took our sins upon him so that we could have eternal life with him. It's the ultimate act of love. He gave his life. He sacrificed his life for us, for you, each one of us individually, so that we could experience his love and God's presence in amazing and beautiful ways. As we see that, those examples, we get to see how God, through the power of the Trinity, through that reflection of, of the Trinity, is teaching us what it means to love extravagantly. C.S. Lewis has a quote, and it says, But love, in the Christian sense, does not mean an emotion. It is a state not of the emotions, but of the will. That state of the will which we have naturally about ourselves and must learn to have for other people. The love of self isn't the problem. Sometimes it is. But typically, it's learning how to love other people. And I put a big question mark when I first read that. Bert had sent me that uh, quote, and he was going to use it today as well. And I put a big question mark and underlined learn. I was like, no, no, we don't learn that. Our hearts and mind are transformed by God's love. But the more I started to think about it, I was like, no, we learn that. As we learn who God is, and then we more fully understand who he is, 
and we worship in truth and love, we learn what love looks like because his love was first extended to us. And then through that, we learn how to love. But before we can learn how to do something, we must first learn what something is. Can't play a piano if you've never seen one in your life. We can't love if we don't know the source of that love. And as we do that, when we're learning about love, we learn and have some insight into what our idols are. It helps us to see who we are and what idols we have made in our life other than God. We fail to love our neighbors and we love something more than God. It can be our own feelings or the pursuit of something else, be pride or greed. But it's when we turn from God towards something else. But here's the key. When we turn away from God, we're turning towards nothingness. Satan can't create anything new. He merely twists and corrupts that which has already been declared by God, created by God and declared by God to be good. So when we have those other idols, we're not going to create love. Love is not going to come from that. And so we're called to love in big and little ways. We know that it comes from God. And when we turn the everyday parts of our lives into worship, then those acts of worship become acts of love. When we think and pray on God's love, when we spend time just pondering how much God loves you, I've spent the past two weeks, when I take my walks, that's my prayer time. I don't typically listen to a podcast or listen to music any, um, at all. And so that's my time to think and pray about things. And that whole idea of God's love being eternal has just stuck with me over the past few weeks. And so I just find myself pondering that. And then I just feel this joy and this peace because of that knowledge and that understanding. And it just keeps kind of being revealed to me that kind of the onion keeps getting peeled back and I, and I understand it and start to see it more and more and more. When we let that sink in, when we let that transform our hearts and minds so that we can learn what it means to love and be able to love others. It's the foundation of everything God does and has done and it must be the foundation of everything that we do. It's an orientation of the heart, and it helps us to see the highest good in all circumstances at any cost. I think our human nature is sometimes to, to, to not see that. It helps us to strive to see God in all those circumstances, and it helps us to search our, find, our hearts to find ways to love others conditional, unconditionally. Christian love is the love of God. We experience in Christ returning that love to us for Christ and his people. That's the make disciples part of this, that it's got to be shared. And as you share the love of Christ, disciples are made. As you seek to make disciples, you learn what love looks like in action. We can all do good works. There are non-believers every day who do good works. It becomes extravagant love when it is done through Christ and in his name. That's the difference. 
That's the extravagant part, is when it is done through Christ, because that is perfect love. That is love that always has been and always will be, that was created and exists, and God our Father was demonstrated on the cross through his Son, Jesus Christ, and that the Holy Spirit continues to teach us about. It's extravagant love because it's done in the name of Christ. So there's two things I want you to leave here with today. One is how are you making disciples? Children need Sunday school teachers. Have you invited someone to church or a Bible study? I'm going to challenge you to pray with someone this week. Join a mission or a ministry at the church. Celebrate birthdays at Bordersville. Serve the men in white through Kairos. What is one way that you can connect with a ministry at KMC to help make disciples? And all of those things are so important, but we can quickly start to think that that love is only done by our good works. And that can't be all. The other thing I'm going to challenge everyone to do this week, and Bert's doing the same thing over in the other service, is to read the letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. There's seven chapters total, and it's kind of nice because you really feel like you accomplished something because you have read three books of the Bible by the end of the week. That was one of the things when I was in seminary and we get to those short letters, and I was like, oh, good, <laughs> finally a short one. <laughs> but these chapters are all about love. So I'm going to challenge you this week to read one chapter every single day of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John because it can't just be our works even if we do those things in Christ. But it has to come through prayer and scripture as well. If we are going to learn what it means to love extravagantly, it has to come through all of those things. It has to come through our prayers, through scripture, being immersed in scripture, and the ways that we not only seek and serve God individually, but as a church as well. That's what it means to love extravagantly. And I want to challenge each one of us to go and do that this week. Find a new way to connect, but also make sure that it is covered in prayer and that you are immersed in Scripture so that you can be transformed by that love of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.